Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Nolan Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going all right. How are you today? I'm doing well and I'm feeling good because... Noel, the, the podcast wasn't long enough last week. I was a guest on the TV Rewind podcast with Stephanie, which was so much fun. You guys can uh, check that out. Just, just Google Steve, uh, TV Rewind or you can uh, find find that online as well uh, at TV Rewind on Twitter. Uh, but we talked about last week's TV, but I managed to find a couple episodes that we didn't talk about, that I didn't talk about at least last week on the podcast to talk about over there. Uh, so I talk a little uh, The 100 and uh and 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 more there is we talked to agent carter and um and arrow from last week so that that was a lot of fun to talk with stephanie we also talked about some news and, and other developments on tv right now um but yeah it was it was uh it was fun it was it was a good time and and this week uh we also i should mention i i'm very proud of myself i have an answer to your question of the week last week noel uh about about which x-files monster is the is the best or is my favorite, uh, which it, it had occurred to me immediately, but I didn't know if it counted as a monster. I've determined that it does. The, what I'm for listeners who didn't make it all the way to the end of last week's episode, the question. And was, how dare you? And really, it's only about like two and a half hours. I mean, come on. Noel's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, question of the week last week was, "What is your favorite X Files monster?" Um, and I just I couldn't get away from uh, from Tombs. He's just right. No, he's great. He's so creepy. I was like, that's only like the second, third episode. Come on, come on, Kate. But no, and he looks like a dude, but it's just so, so creepy. So I'm going with Tombs. Uh, we heard I like that choice from from Jean Pierre at the pod at the website. Uh, thank you, and also Depayan for for reaching out there too. Um, with with his pick, so JP's pick is the monster from season seven episode Hungary, Rob Roberts, or uh, the monster from Hungary, uh, who is apparently played by Chad Donella. And uh, yeah, I JP says I always thought he looked kind of cool with the black eyes, bald head, and sharp teeth, and he wanted to give <laughs> guys. You should have seen Noel's expression just then. Um, uh, JP wants to give Donella credit. For his role here, because he, uh, you know, it's he really stuck. That performance stuck in JP's memory, so he would like follow the actor throughout. But uh, um, anyways, uh, he, JP also wants to know if Noel and I have uh, seen the short-lived series Night Stalker 2005. Uh, I have not. Have you? No, the extent of Night Stalker, anything Night Stalker related, I've seen is. Um, wait, am I thinking of Kojak the Night Stalker? Are you thinking of Kolchak the Night Stalker? There was an original. I'm thinking series. of Kolchak. Yes, I'm yeah. thinking of that Night Stalker. Yeah. I haven't seen the other Night Stalker. Yeah. Um, uh, JP says it re- relates to next week's X-Files episode, Mulder and Scully Meet the Were-Monster, uh, right. because it was a, it sounds at least to JP similar to a script that Darren Morgan wrote for Night Stalker. Um, okay. And so, and you can apparently read the script online for the link, go to theteleverse.org slash episode 229. Um, and to see that there, but um, anything Darren Morgan is intriguing to me. So I haven't read it, the link yet, uh, or the, mm-hmm. the script yet, but I do. Thank you, Jean-Pierre, for um, 
It feels so weird. I'm just calling him JP. We always call JP JP. So it feels weird to call you Jean Peter. So JP, thank you for that link. Um, and I look forward to to checking that out. Another important comment at the website. Depayan, thank you so much for saving me on this. Uh, listeners, last week I credited Ray Wise with what was definitely, definitely Stephen Root's performance on Idiot Sitter. And I have no excuse for that because I, I love them both. But uh, the only excuse I have is it had been a week over since I had seen it, and clearly it had faded in my memory. But Stephen Root is delightful, and I wish he had his own series, because I'm still pulling for that Stephen Root, Romy Rosemont FX series that I want to have happen in the universe. Um, but yeah, that's my bad, and thank you uh, very much, Depayan, for making me aware of it. Do you have uh, any any thoughts uh, on Stephen Root, Noel? Uh, Stephen Root's great. Uh, he's always been great. Always. And always, I think, probably will be great. Always a delightful presence. This week on the podcast, we are welcoming one of your very, very good friends, uh, Noel, Corey Barker from TV.com. And we'll be talking at the end of the podcast to Miami Vice. It was wonderful to live in just a world of of dayglow (laughs) and awesome, awesome music this week. And alligators on boats. Yeah, I feel like we didn't talk about alligators on boats anywhere near enough in that segment. Though it was so much fun. Um, that's coming at the end of the podcast. But before that, we have a very, like, a crazy full week in TV. So uh, what do you say? Let's get into it? Let's get into it. Yeah, so we'll be right back after this to talk a very full week in comedy. Get back! Finally. I've been waiting two seasons for this. That was one of the delightful songs from this week's episode of Gallivant. Uh, this week in comedy, I'm going to talk a little bit about You, Me, and the Apocalypse, uh, as well as Noel has some thoughts on that as well. Uh, we have 34 days to go, and who are these people? Then I'm going to do a quick roundup of some of the other shows that I watched over the past week, uh, which includes the Children's Hospital premiere, Kids Hospital, The Baskets premiere, Renoir, uh, Gallivant, Love and Death, and Do the Do, as well as Man Seeking Woman, Tinsel. Then Noel has a few thoughts on The Grinder, Blood is Thicker Than Justice. I, I feel like you have to say justice with The Grinder. Uh, so. I think that's okay. You have yeah. to keep grinding. Yeah, exactly. That's, mm-hmm. all, that's all you can do. Uh, then we'll yeah. both talk some Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Cruise, plus we might have some thoughts on Nine Days from last week, as well as Crazy Ex-Girlfriend going to the beach with Josh and his friends, and Jane the Virgin, Chapter 31. So first up is You, Me, and the Apocalypse, which had its pilot. Now, I thought this was a half-hour show. Apparently, it's an hour-long show. And then there are two episode titles on Wikipedia for this episode, but it's still numbered as one episode. I can't tell if the- what's going on. So I either watched one hour-long episode or two half-hour episodes with no pauses or breaks in the middle for, like, end of it. You know, like, it felt like one yeah. episode, but I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, 
did you know much about this other than like the little bits we saw in the trailers? Like, did you know this was a British show? I did know it was a British show, and the extent of what I knew about it was a part that it was a British show, and that Roblo was a priest. That was the extent of what I knew about this show. I knew nothing else, and I still kind of don't know anything. And I, but I only got to watch like thirty minutes of it. I think I did know that it was a British show, but I had forgotten that it was a British okay. show until I watched it. And that's because the cast that they've been really hyping has been Rob Lowe, Jenna Fisher, Megan Mullally. Um, so it feels kind of odd to me for this to be a British show with a British lead, who I enjoyed very much, actually, and then a bunch of Americans and uh, an Italian nun, yes, question mark, Italian? Question mark, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she's actually Italian, but... Yeah, but uh, I, I liked I liked a lot of this, even though certain parts of it are really heightened, and I, I feel like I it'll come together in a way. Like, I have, I have faith that it, I will like it more as it continues right now. Just Roblo, Roblo's priest with the with the pink Jesus and the, the smoking and the taking the Lord's name in vain and all this, the swearing and everything um, feels like a bit much. Yeah. Um, Even I thought it was a bit much and I only got to watch 30 minutes of it. Yeah, but I'm hoping that that will, like, kind of be shaped or shaded and go somewhere. I, I mean... I, I I had fun with this episode. I thought it was, you know, had some, some interesting uh, elements. I like this idea that the world is going to end in 34 days and this guy doesn't care because what's most important to him is this mystery of what's going on with this person who looks just like him but clearly isn't him because he, he, he has a rock-solid alibi. He couldn't have done this cyber crime but his DNA said he did. Uh, so so I like that there's other stuff going on. There's more, but I'm not, don't want to spoil you, Noel. So I'm going to leave that vague. Um, I like that it's not being the last man on Earth. Because it felt like that's what this was going to be. Uh, yeah. Like some, another or it's sh- leading up to be that. Yeah. Um, but but the entire season is structured so like such that the finale is the apocalypse or what comes after it. So everything leading up to then is like the, the titles of the episodes are X number of days to go. Um, okay. And then the, the, the second to last episode is 24 hours to go. So okay. we're going to just kind of follow how all these people are reacting to finding out or being told that the world's going to end in a month. And what would you do? And I think that's an interesting. It is. And premise. especially because it's a premise that could legitimately happen. And sometimes we don't detect those things until they're right on top of us. Yeah. And also, this is a more entertaining way to do it. Yeah. Heroes. <laughs> Personally. But I also like that it's more comedic. Just keep stabbing that dead horse. It's just like, you know, instead of having no one know because heroes stuff blocking the internet from knowing. I mean... Anyways, I, mostly the fact that this is it's this premise, but it's a comedy. Uh, let's just go into a different realm with it, which I think is is more interesting than watching everyone stare anxiously off into the the the, the sunset or you know what is going to happen, etc. They, they can have a little more fun with it. And I think that works well, and having a more near, a, a more dramatic through line with the lead character, I think, is also an important part of what's making this work so far. Uh, I don't know that I'll make time for it right now, but it's one that I could definitely see catching up with later in the year as sort of like a binge over over a weekend. Um, listeners, if you watch it or if you have seen it, I don't know if it aired. I think it already aired in the UK. Um, if you already saw it, let me know what what you think. But um, so far, thumbs up, why not? But I don't know that I'll keep up with it. Do, are you going to go back and watch the last half hour? 
if I can easily find it. Um, I had to like go to NBC's website to watch it, and that was a miserable experience. Yeah, not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, next up is Children's Hospital, Kids Hospital, which was the season seven premiere where uh, the le- previous season ended with, uh, with Dr. Blake Downs firing everyone in the hospital. And so they all went over to the free clinic. Uh, no, Kids Clinic, I think is the name of the, the, the episode. Um, and it, it was a lot of fun, very much in the in keeping of its tone. Very glad to have it back. The the various, uh, Betsy Brandt was a lot of fun in her guest role. Very happy to see her pop up here and get to do something a bit sillier than much of what I saw her get to do on the Michael J. Fox show. Though I did not watch that to its entire in its entirety, so maybe she got more to do later on. But I, a little bit, yeah, yeah. I enjoy her, and so I'm glad that she was getting uh, some very delightfully silly stuff to do here, uh, wrestling a bear and or choke holding a bear and hostages and you know shooting all of the Chinese, but make sure you don't shoot the the South Korean kid, you know that kind of a thing. Uh, like, like these are the kinds of things that happen at Children's Hospital. Uh, yeah. it was, it was a fun premiere and given when it airs and when we record, we probably won't talk about Children's Hospital much this season, but I will chime in with any particular episodes that strike my fancy. Cause I do really, I, I watch it every week. I really enjoy Children's Hospital and I'm glad that it is, uh, back for another season. Baskets had its premiere last week, Renoir, and I basically, I, I didn't, I don't have a lot to say about it. Um, because it kind of co-signed what everybody else said. If I, I liked it more than other people did, but I like Zach Galifianakis, so I don't necessarily have a problem with a very Zach Elfanakis toned show. I don't know what else you would expect when it's coming from him and Louis Louis C.K. Um, I, if I had less to watch, I would keep up with it, but I don't. It's kind of how I feel about the comedians. I was more positive on the comedians than like everybody else. Last year, I, re- I reviewed it for the AV Club and watched the first nine, but never made time to watch the next four to finish up the season. Um, <laughs> I think this is interesting. I like Zach Galifianakis, but it's not enough to make me laugh out loud or feel connected to or compelled by the characters. So because that is how I watch TV, I probably won't watch more of it unless some of y'all say I need to. I don't see it as internally, like intentionally, or or as structurally flawed or as uh, a poor, like a misstep or anything, because I think this is what they were going for. And uh, for the people who that this tone or this voice speaks to them, I think it'll be a really uh, enjoyable show. Uh, but for me, I'm going to instead uh, spend more time with Man Seeking Woman, which had its episode Tinsel uh, this week. Uh, and this was another Liz-centric episode. Liz gets involved with Santa Claus, and it is hilarious and delightful, and I will never look at Christmas train sets the same way. Uh, and what I happens will... to the Christmas train set? You don't want to know. Unless you do, uh. in which case, watch it, because it's funny. Santa likes train sets, that's all I'll say. Um, but uh, there's just, like, they make Santa just kind of sweaty and gross, but also, like, oily, charming, you know? Sure. Uh, and it's, How I've always imagined Santa Claus, quite honestly. Yeah, like, you, you know, Santa shows up, and it's just, like, kind of... For, for Santa, given what how the character develops over the episode... Uh, subtly hitting on Liz, and you're like, is Santa hitting on Liz? What's, you know, he's talking about using his hands to tinker, to but to fix her record player. Uh, okay, what's happening here? And then it develops from there. The way that they focus on Liz and tell one story throughout the entire episode, I think works very, very well instead of fracturing it into three parts or four parts like they usually do. Um, I really liked the kind of subtle, more subtle social commentary that is in this episode. Um, I don't usually 
talk about comment, comments uh, on, on the podcast, but what I thought was interesting is that, to me, the character was being slut-shamed throughout the episode, obviously, and to some of the commenters, she wasn't at all. Why would I even think that? Uh, and I think that's very telling. Um, but when you have a character get called a slut and a whore and a bitch with various levels of we're joking around it, like, oh, see, they she was playfully called a slut by her female coworker. That's not slut shaming. Isn't that the definition? I was about to say, I'm pretty sure that's the definition of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what that is. Um, anyway, so I thought that was interesting. Just not just what the episode was doing, but also different reactions to it. Um, Britt Lauer is fantastic, as she was last season in her Spotlight episode. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I can't say enough about the, the, the Santa dirty talk, uh, <laughs> the kid overhearing the Santa dirty talk, and the train set. Uh, uh, if that intrigues you, Noel, I look forward to your thoughts should you catch up with the episode. Uh, but I'm very glad I that, may have to. <laughs> that they that they gave Liz another spotlight episode and that they, they didn't wait to do it, that they did an episode four instead of waiting for episode nine again. And also, based on some of the interviews, uh, the kind of little things I was seeing here and there about this episode, uh, inter- interviews with Britt Lauer, there were a few sites that had like a short little write-up, like five-minute talk with her. I have a feeling we might be getting a, at least one other episode like this from a different character's point of view so either mike or maybe the one of the parents or something and that is really exciting for me uh so we'll see what happens but my review is up over at the av club i would love to i read all the comments so i would love to hear what you guys think if you're over there um but now let's move on i skipped galvant did not mean to do that uh i'm looking forward to the finale next week i'm gonna talk more about it then but uh, i like that they did finally have the 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 two lead women get a song together i like that you know the the handling of the Omenson character is just so much better. He worked he worked as a villain in the first season, but the show was lacking in charisma and heart from its protagonists. Not individually with them, but just because they're such types that really the the evil king was the only that was the only character kind of playing against type. Uh, and so I think that bringing him over to to be one of the obvious good guys has worked really well in this season and and Omenson is really nailing his delivery so having fun with Gallivant hope you guys like that song leading into the segment because I know that I did but I want to know what you think of Blood is Thicker Than Justice is this their first two-parter over at the Grinder? uh sort I I don't want to say that it is because they've been kind of doing like this like four-part kind of arc really five five part arc with um Dean, this was like their first like committed two-parter, but they've been like doing all this stuff with Dean, trying to figure out where he fits. So like we have the Timothy Oliphant like sequence um, that was just fantastic and really really funny. Um, but so yeah, this was their first like real two-parter in which um, Dean uh, basically is kind of like pushed out of everything, like he's pushed out of the house. He's pushed out of the law firm, and he ends up working for Roz and Landy because they'll let him talk in court. And they found a loophole to let him talk in court by making him a legal intern, which is great. <laughs> and so there was just, like, plenty of really good stuff. Um, but I, it was one of those instances of those classic sitcom instances where the kooky character is the one keeping everyone together. Mm-hmm. type of thing so when dean leaves um 
um, Stuart and Debbie find out that they need Dean to keep the kids in line and from <laughs> collapsing upon themselves. And I just think that's really fun and really interesting. Um, and I enjoy just, I, I just really enjoy the grinder and I enjoy how it's coming to the point where Stuart is realizing that he has to kind of play into the TV stuff to keep his brother happy because his brother just won't let go still. And I think that's still sad. And I think it was a really interesting show about depression that's running underneath all this that the show hasn't like fully embraced yet, even though we'll get to a show that's really embracing it this week. And um, so, no, I, I, I just thought it was really funny and I enjoyed the courtroom ending of them realizing they're not talking about the case are they no they're not and it's okay the judge says <laughs> that's really great how did, did you watch this episode how are you feeling about it or no i ran out of time because i instead watched a second episode of of people versus oj simpson which i wasn't originally planning to but it was really good guys it's okay so it's hopefully okay. i will catch up with it soon it's waiting for me on my dvr uh it was a yeah. really good episode Excellent. Looking forward to it. Also having a really good episode this week and last week as well, me needs to be said, is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I had a lot of fun with the cruise, but I think even more with last week's Nine Days. Uh, what did you think mm-hmm. of this episode and the return of the Pontiac Bandit? I'm like the only person in the world who doesn't really like Craig Robinson. Okay. Um, so I've never really, really enjoyed his episodes. Um but I really liked the cruise, and I really liked him on the cruise. So this was a nice, like, change of pace for me. And it's also a episode that takes place on a cruise. And while I've never been on a cruise, I also never, ever, ever want to go on a cruise because they're just floating prisons. <laughs> um, but yeah, so no, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I enjoyed that we got one shuffleboard joke, which was very necessary. And I just, I enjoyed just how kind of fun and convoluted it ended up being with um, the Pontiac Bandit sending the tickets. Um, I still enjoyed, I think, Rosa and Boyle competing to get the apartment more, um, just because I enjoy that. But I also really, really enjoyed Holt dealing with his sister. Mm -hmm. And she's the drama one. And it's just like, I can't even. And it's just like, Yes, that's great. Well, and to go from Andre Brower's just ridiculously over-the-top big performance yeah. last week back to, right. now that he's no longer hopped up on pain meds and such, right. uh, back to normal, the delivery of I Can't Even was amazing. Yeah. Uh, or You yeah. Found Me in the Shadows Drinking Seltzer. <laughs> like, fantastic. So good. What did you think about the cruise? Oh, I thought it was a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. I think having... Um, that kind of playful relationship with Robinson and Sandberg works very well, but yeah. also, you know, like so many episodes that I enjoy of this milieu, I guess, do having that tie into a larger uh, commentary on his relationship with Amy. Yeah. Also, you know, it's it's a really straightforward thing that they're doing, but they do it well. And the the wackiness of Boyle and Rosa, like Rosa's charm, being want to admit, uh, I smiled at you. For nothing. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Uh, I had a lot of fun with, with this episode. And and I think it was a good contrast, like I said, not just with Holt, but with some of the other stuff that was going on to the previous episode. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard to top a visual gag of Walthazar being a thirsty bitch 
at Balthazar and Penelope. I mean, it's it was just really funny last week, guys. Mm-hmm. It was. It was very funny. Um, but I think it's time to talk about our next episode, which is yeah. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, I will be using one of the songs from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend to lead into our weekend genre because it's just too good to not use. Uh, I loved this episode, Going to the Beach. I did too. With Josh and his friends. Sorry, Going to the Beach with Josh and his friends. I'm just glad that this was the episode after hiatus because I've heard from several people, uh, from you know quite a few, a few number of people who finally caught up with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend after their Golden Globes win um, and the, you know, the CW putting all the episodes up online. So I'm just really glad that they came back from hiatus with such a strong episode because I, I thought it was great. And not only that, but it's an episode that for a lot of people I knew were like kind of antsy about the show or just weren't had questions about what the show was doing and that this episode just went oh you have questions oh well let us explore all those questions in a party bus and so I thought that was I thought it was just a really kind of brutal episode in a lot of ways to watch it by the end especially when it's just like you've been lying to all of us all of us this entire time <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then Josh is just like, I'm glad you moved to West Covina. It is amazing. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, you're actually amazing. And so I just, I really enjoyed um, how the episode dealt with its premise that for a lot of folks felt really turned off by the idea that he, she moved there for him, essentially, mm-hmm. and how... That kind of really wasn't the case and how she explained it. Wasn't. It, it wasn't yeah. the case. It yeah. was just he was this ray of sunshine that came yeah. into her life at just the right time. So of course she chased after it. Yeah. Yeah. She moved there to try to be happy because she yeah. wasn't happy there and she didn't know where happy could possibly be. So yeah. this guy seems really certain that this is ha- and and he's there obviously that's something that's part of it but yeah. it, it's sort of like with I, I feel like when you look at Felicity that's much more an example of somebody who went to a school because the guy was there. Yeah. And she had other reasons too, but I feel like that was much more about that. And then they yeah. kind of retconned other reasons afterwards. Whereas with, in the pilot, they establish immediately yeah. how miserable she is and how much she holds onto this notion of, of, of when was she happy? And yeah. what does happiness even mean? How could like, that she's lost any sense of that as a notion. I mean, and I've been saying that since the pilot, and I'm yeah. sure you have been too. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that they put that out front and center here, and that Josh totally gets it. And now she's like legitimately into him now. It's not like one of those kind of, eh, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, I honestly don't know. But now that he's like accepting of this idea, she's just like, I love Josh. I know, honey. Also, Paula made really good time to the beach. Yeah, they had a big like fight, and they they had the traffic from Daryl probably helped, but yeah, she 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 did. Um, I love the care they have put into Josh Chan as a character. Yeah, because I didn't really like Josh for a while as a character, like just a concept. Mm-hmm. But now he's like being fleshed out a lot more, and I'm like, oh, this 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 works much better for me. And he actually he feels like a person. Yeah. And not just an idea. And so I, yeah. I really like that. It's not just in this episode, but in previous episodes as well, like when he's trying to get the job at the, the, the electronic store and stuff. Store, yeah. Yeah. That they, they have made it a priority to, to show that, no, she's not nuts for really liking this person and seeing yeah. this is a good person. Uh, 
Even if he really needs to break up with this horrible girlfriend. Oh, and her song is just delightful. Our last show of the week in comedy is Jane the Virgin, Chapter 31, or the episode about uh, Jane trying to sleep train Mateo, and many other things. But I was just so Team Alba on this one. Ah, yeah, no, me too. And I mean, well, we both say that, but do either of us have kids that we want to mother and care for so excessively and be like current day parents that we'd like let our kids just cry it out? Yeah, I feel like I'm, I I mean, you can't know until you actually have a kid, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be a cried out (laughs) kind of parent just because... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like that's going to be... There will be plenty of other things that I stress over Yeah. Uh, when I'm a parent. I don't feel like that's going to be one of them. Okay. But who knows when the hormones are pumping through you. Uh, did you what, what did you think about the rest of this episode? Um, I like the sleep training. I wasn't crazy about the whole stuff with uh, Rogelio's mom and his dad being gay. It was just like, okay... That's that's fine. There's a little bit of humor here, but there's nothing really interesting happening. More so, I was just like, oh, holy shit, Raphael's mother is Mooder! <laughs> and I was freaking out about that. So you're, like, invested, then, in that part of it? Because I, I was... Yeah! I'm not sure I know, I you're checked out about that part. I know you've, like, been kind of, like, disconnected from that. But I was just like, oh my god, and then he's, she stuck a needle in him. Ah! That was an awesome ending. I, I, yeah, no, it was credit. a great ending. That was a great way to do it. No, uh, yeah. yeah. And I like that I like that they let Louisa have one kind of positive thing of, like, this memory for, with her mom is a real thing, and, like, her mom yeah. didn't fake her... I guess she did fake her death, but, like, she isn't this evil person. She just got has some issues, you know? Uh, that, yeah. That's kind of nice. You know, spread yeah. it out a little bit. What did you think about uh, the way they wrapped up, at least for now, the stuff with Petra? If there is something I'm disconnected with, it's Petra dealing with her mom. Um, and I'm I'm hopefully glad that we're going to, like, have the mom away for a little while. Um, just because I'm ready for, like, Petra to be trying to make herself a life again. And I like Petra much more when she isn't trapped by her past, basically. And I like watching her try to establish her present. And I think that's a much more interesting thing. I think it's much more interesting for the character. I think it's much more interesting for the actor. And I think it prevents Petra from being trapped in her own show, which I think happens way too often with that character. So when she gets to interact with Raphael or when she gets to um, interact with um, Jane, it's a much more interesting show and so much more interesting for Petra. So how did you feel about how they wrapped that up? Yeah, I'm glad that it seems to be wrapped up for now i really hope they don't undo it anytime soon um because like you i think i think petra's just much more interesting when she can be a person and she's much more interesting when she can interact with jane and she cannot interact with jane when her mother is around because there's too much baggage it just doesn't work um so i'm hoping that this means that she can get more involved in the jane side of thing especially with the baby coming soon yes um we'll see what happens with it but uh, i think it's a positive let's let's be done with petra's stuff for a while yeah or petra's past stuff well what wins your week in comedy sir um i'm gonna give it to crazy ex-girlfriend this week um just because it was a really solid episode and one that i feel like is like you said a really good reintroduction to the show after people saw it win a golden globe and were able to watch all of it 
uh, for free. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna give it to Crazy X. I would love to give it to Tinsel, but I gotta give it to Crazy X Girlfriend. That West Covina reprise? Are you kidding me? Uh, we will be leading out of the segment with that because it's amazing. So uh, I'm gonna stop talking, and we're gonna come back with our weekend genre after you listen to to uh, Rachel. Uh, oh, what's his name? Vincent Rodriguez. The until you listen and uh, let you listen to uh, Rachel Bloom and Vincent Rodriguez the uh, third sing some West Covina. So we'll be right back after this. West Covina, California. It's so cool, you see the bounty of the best town in L.A. County. It's Nirvana, it's heaven, it's Mecca. Yeah, I'm hopelessly, desperately in love with West Covina. Can't believe that a girl like you would think this place is a dream come true. Or be swayed by a guy like me. It's not just a coincidence. It isn't just by chance. It's logical. It's obvious. It all makes perfect sense. And I'm just so happy that you're here. This week in genre, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Beowulf premiere, episode one. And then Noel's going to talk some magicians, the source of magic, before we both dive in with the X-Files premiere uh, two. I thought it was going to be three. I thought it was two Sunday, one Monday. My bad, guys. Just one and one. My struggle and founder's mutation. Now with spoilers, and and then we'll talk Adventure Time crossover, the hundred, uh, one Ada part two, Agent Carter, Better Angels. Uh, did I, did I say Angel Carter? I feel like that would be an easy mistake to make because she is. I feel like it's still, yeah, no, I was about to say, it's still accurate either yeah. way. And then we'll talk the Flash, Reverse Flash Returns, Arrow, AWOL, and we'll wind things up with DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Pilot Part 2. But first up is Beowulf. Um, I had way higher hopes for this, and maybe it's going to kick in in Episode 2, Episode 3, but uh, I was very underwhelmed by Beowulf Return to the Shieldlands. Um and also, I just think it didn't help that Mo Ryan, a friend of the show, Mo Ryan, the fabulous Mo Ryan, tweeted something positive about Beowulf. So maybe it's coming later in later episodes. Uh, but I wasn't seeing yeah. any of that in this first episode. And it was just kind of underwhelming, Viking-y kind of stuff. So, uh, Is it following the story? Of you know, I don't know the story well all? enough to really tell you. But, but it is... Um, he Beowulf is been banished and he's come back to uh see the the body of his father figure who is I think his father um and uh, but he's not being allowed in and then somebody dies and they think Beowulf did it but he then he didn't and he escapes it's like a whole thing so yeah is this not connected there's a bunch of beastie monsters uh, well, there should only be one beastie monster, and his name is Grendel. No, no, no Grendel. No Grendel yet. Um, we do have, uh, from Outlander, Jamie's sister. The actress who plays Jamie's sister is one of the uh, characters on this show, and I really like her on Outlander, so yay, positive connection there. But uh, she's not given that much to do in this first episode, but it, I mean, just for me, it was really slow and, uh, yeah, underwhelming. I, I was hoping for a lot more from Beowulf. Tell me if it gets better, listeners. Otherwise, I'm not checking back in because there's too much TV, uh, including another show that I did not take the time to check back in with. And that's The Magicians, The Source of Magic. What do you think? Should I should I rectify that? 
Well, here's here's the here's the main reason I'm going to keep watching the magicians. Like it's basically just one reason I'm going to keep watching the magicians. Casey Roll is playing a bad guy. Okay, who's Casey Roll? Abigail Hobbs. Oh, okay, yes. I I was thinking Casey with a C. Okay, yeah. K. But yeah, no, she's fabulous. Yeah, no, she's playing maybe a bad guy. It's kind of unclear. I think she's a bad guy, but that's going to be the main reason I stick around is the fact that she's playing a sarcastic badass, and mm-hmm. I'm so there for that. <laughs> um, but the show itself is perfectly fine. Um, the It's like magic grad school, so a lot of like some of the more like weird kind of mental health issues that are apparently still kind of taken from the books, I, I haven't read the books, um, make more sense in a grad school setting. But also, because it's like a grad school setting, it's just like, oh god, I spent time with people like this in my own grad school experience. I don't need to see snarky, know-it-all upperclassmen who are much further along in the program on TV. I hated those people in real life. I don't need them on my TV. Um, did you, did you have that kind of experience when you were in grad school with folks or? Well, I mean, when you're getting a music degree, it's just very, very different than yeah, no, anything yeah. else. I mean, so yeah. I had a lot of, a lot of classes, it took huge loads, lots of, yeah. I didn't know what like a 12, up, like a 12 hour load was until okay. I was in grad school and you were supposed to be taking eight. Um, but, uh, but no, it's just a very different environment. So yeah. Ish is ish, what I'll say. Sure. Ish. Yeah, so, I mean, it's perfectly fine. There's some kind of interesting ideas maybe floating around. Um, I may keep up with it. I may not. I haven't totally decided yet. I mean, Casey Rolls is a major reason to keep watching because she's clearly having a ball. Major but reason? The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so we'll see. Um, I'm, it's one of those things where a lot of shows are perfectly fine, and that's... Maybe not enough with as much perfectly fine as we have. Yep, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Um, well, speaking of perfectly fine, I feel like yes. that's a good transition to the X Files. Yes, um, we've already talked quite a bit about this last week, so we're going to limit our conversation today to like, more specifics and and things yeah. that maybe we wanted to say last week, but spoilers, so we couldn't. Um, yeah. So, what st- stood out to you more specifically in the in these two episodes, and how are you feeling about the the reception that it was getting as, as it aired? Um. Oh. I, first off, let me just say I was really tickled by how badly Fox bungled this premiere uh, <laughs> for a lot of people. And I mean, making X-Files nerds sit through 10, hour, 10, 10 hours, well, what felt like 10 hours of football mm-hmm. um, to get to the premiere was just really, really mean and bad planning on their part. I understand why they did it because they wanted football as a lead in, uh, but it was just a really bad idea. Um, but so that was amusing to me as someone who'd already seen the episode. <laughs> but um, so no, like the first my struggle is just really talky and condensed of uh, mythology, and it's so Chris Cottery that I couldn't deal with it um, in a lot of ways. But it's still interesting, and it was still exciting. But a lot of it also just felt like the beginning of I want to believe where. We have to get Scully to get Mulder to come back, but then Mulder will only come back if Scully comes back. And it's just like, oh my god, just come back already. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also just the re-jump-starting of the mythology. I feel like we've gone through Mulder not believing but wanting to believe. And it's just like, Mulder, you saw a fucking UFO in the first movie. Where are we going with this right now? <laughs> well, and... 
But you've seen enough, like, flying saucers and spaceships that they have seen. At what point does it become, okay, it didn't start in space, but we have spaceships. That is, I believe in spaceships. Maybe they're not from there, but there's, they, like, come on, guys. I also had trouble with, it feels like with Skinner, every time they use, they're like, we gotta get Skinner back. We don't know what to do with him, though, so he's just gonna be, like, vaguely antagonistic, uh, but not but, as vaguely antagonistic as Kirsch could be. Yeah. Well, and 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 Mulder's not going to trust him for some reason. Like, why? Why would he yeah. ever not? Like, I don't. Right. Skinner's like really trustworthy overall. I think mm-hmm. even if he's vaguely antagonistic, he's still protective. Yeah. Yeah. So like, there's some stuff like that that it was just odd to to watch that. I shouldn't have been, but to watch them make that same mistake that they've made yeah. several times at this point um but i thought the stuff the more personal stuff with the kid and with william in in the second episode was worked oh, a lot better God. really really good yeah I yeah i and some people it was much for them but i the structure of the episode i thought worked good starting with the you know with scully and going towards Mulder, um with their wish fulfillment kind of like memories uh yeah. with you know i thought that was that was really very touching yeah, um, Mulder would traveled. show an eight-year-old 2001. He would show an eight-year-old 2001 <laughs> a Space Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought that was effective. The the like high-pitched thing. Um, uh, as someone who is constantly fearing I'm developing tinnitus from practicing the like high stuff on the violin, uh, sure. <laughs> there, that was effective for me. Shall we sure, say? Sure, sure. Uh, but um, yeah, I thought that that worked. But mostly, I just want y'all to watch next week's episode so we can talk about funny things and fun accents. So that is all I'm going to say about next week's episode. And I'm going to leave it off there. Do you have any final thoughts on the X-Files? I do not, except for the fact that everything in that lab should have been way darker. When I said things needed to be darker, they (laughs) needed to be darker in that lab. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Well, things weren't physically darker on adventure time but they certainly were thematically because there was some messed up Holy stuff shit, right? on adventure time crossover and i love that, that that we start the episode with finn just being like well this is totally screwed up <laughs> totally yes. fucked up right now uh what did you think of crossover well i think everything about crossover was me tweeting you while i was watching saying oh my god in all caps we have to talk about adventure time um mm-hmm. because this episode brought back the alternate dimension of the wish dimension where the lich doesn't exist uh finn's just a regular human for the most part who doesn't look as cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and that dimension was still happening and threatening the entire fabric of existence and it was just really fun in a whacked out way and uh, we got Finn fighting himself, and we got the Finn sword not wanting to do either of these things, which was just like, ah, the Finn sword has sentience! <laughs> and just, I mean, so much really fun, like, little seed planting. Like, Prismo has a boss, Kate. Yeah. Prismo has a bo- What kind of HR meeting is that? <laughs> I don't know, and I both want to know and never want to find out. Yeah, no, it's just like, oh yeah, man, I died, but I figured out this way to come back. And it's just, <laughs> no. Um, so no, it was just really exciting, but it was also, I think, a really great episode for Finn, his maturity, and him having to grapple with what he's willing to do, how he sees himself. And that end of him watching his wish reality parents hug his wish reality self, it's just like, Whew, gut punch. Oh! 
All the feels. All the feels. Um, so yeah, um, and also just Ron Perlman coming back as the Lich. Yay. And so how did you feel about Crossover? Basically everything that you just said, including all of the all caps tweeting, which was absolutely deserved. Um, the the emotion of it that comes through at the end is so effective. Just so effective. I love the way that, because he knows his, he's met his dad. His dad's just a dick. Uh, yeah, Martin's a dick. I mean, it's not like he doesn't, oh, I wonder what you know, family was like. And he grew up with loving parents, but you can't erase that feeling of of loss that he has of not getting to have a a childhood with like the way that he must have envisioned for much of his life before he met his dick father um so that was really effective and i'm so glad they included that i liked that they steered into no this is weird and messed up and probably very scarring for finn yes um I also yeah. liked what we got with Jake <laughs> reacting to his, his stupid dog alter, uh, which was good, and Bobby as opposed to Billy. So, like, there's so much to like here, and um, considering the tweaks we saw just a couple episodes ago to the crown and how much that keeps Simon versus the Ice King in our memories, having it come back, you know, what would happen if Finn had the crown? He's Finn, but it's still the crown. It would win. The crown would win. Um, I think it's appropriately uh, humanizing of Simon and the Ice King. It seems very aware of its role as a show that a lot of kids are watching, and so it includes sentiments that it thinks are important. And anyone is fallible, and anyone can be corrupted, I think is a very interesting statement yep. and i think a good statement yes to make it's not like finn is magical and so he doesn't have any struggles um i thought that you know these are the kinds of 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 topics that i'm glad a show like adventure time is interested in tackling because yes. i don't know anybody else who is yeah. um at least in this kind of way and keeping wrapping that on underneath a just awesomely weird and crazy and creative episode i love, I love that it didn't explain a man needs made just like i know but and then it just dings with room service and that's it i just love that that was it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it was really really good um my only big other thing is just like so are there like a gazillion different parts of the lich in all of the multiverse now or more specifically is that one part of the lich replicated throughout as soon as when that hand fell i was like oh that's not good that is coming back and i don't believe prismo at all when he says i'll just edit this yeah. and it's fine yeah like, it is not fine i loved how he edited it though because mm-hmm. it, it was editing software and it was just like oh yeah i got this and it was just like mm-hmm. when did yeah. you do this earlier dot, dot, dot. <laughs> ellipses <laughs> do you have any final thoughts on adventure time or shall we move on to the hundred let's move on to one hate part two uh i really like the premiere uh, and I am, I'm a little leery about, uh, some stuff with Jasper. I think it's appropriate. I just don't want them to, and I, this, this week's episode comments on, so I'm glad they're aware of it. I don't want them to go down the same thing they did, uh, with Finn. So I'm just waiting for that to do something interesting and slightly different. But other than that, I'm on board. Uh, what did you, what did you think about this, this second part of the premiere? Um, I really, I actually like this episode a bit more than the premiere, um, just because we get to see some more with Clark and her captor. And I mean, also just that great ending of Lexa showing up being the one who was, who was trying, A, trying to get Clark, but also just the whole, I want your people to become my people. And it's just like, 
No, fuck you, bitch. You left my people. <laughs> this isn't okay. And just the dynamics that are going to play out um, between Clark and Lex in this struggle, I can't wait for. And I'm really excited also. Well, I've already seen how some of this plays out. But I can't wait to ha- see other people deal with how this is all going to play out. Um, I'm really, really excited about Jaha and his City of Light. And how do you feel about the City of Light right now? Oh, Kate, I don't care. Kate made a really great face, everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. There was, there was a rather significant eye roll, listeners, uh, for the little bit painting a mental picture there. Uh, I don't care because it just seems like it's so straightforwardly, it's the Matrix. Or, you know, it's like they put it puts a mind control kind of chip or something and then their consciousness gets uploaded to a thing and there's no death because there's no life. Spoiler alert, everyone. There's no life in the City of Light either. That's what seems is obviously going to happen. And obviously Noel can't respond because he's seen more. But it's just, I don't care about Jaha. And I, I, I've, I've seen enough other genre and read enough, uh, read enough other genre materials that have done storylines sure. similar this to isn't this. isn't anything new. To be very tired of it. Because it, it doesn't seem like they're doing anything original with this setup or this premise. And so... That's why I just am, am very, very checked out of it. it. Though it did manage to get me more on board with Murphy, who I don't right. like. <laughs> uh, just because he, him being like, you know, screw you to Jaha was very welcome. Uh, but that's as much as I, like, the the dress they have, the AIN is awesome. She looks great. And she's doing a good job with what she's given. But it's just, it just feels like a very tiresome, doomed to fail storyline. It's like, dude, you're never going to be the Messiah. The show has decided a long time ago that you are not going to be right. And so I don't know why we're still spending time with you trying to convince yourself that you are, but you aren't. And we all know you aren't. So if you could just get on board and do something else, I would be much more interested. That's where I'm at, at least. Right. I'm really, I think that this is just a real wild card of a plot. Like, as you say, it can go really, really poorly. But I think it also just represents something that, could really alter what the show does Mm -hmm. and how its characters respond to this offer of, oh, well, no, you don't have to live in this weird war tension truce nonsense. You can just live like this. Isn't this nicer than that? And I think that that struggle for peace and truce, truce, not truth, but truce, and being able to survive and be happy... looked at through Jasper's eyes because I think Jasper would jump at this right now. And I think that kind... It represents a third path, basically. And however people respond to that, I think is going to be really interesting. And so I'm actually kind of excited to really see where this goes. Though I know that a lot, quite a few people are just like, yeah, this isn't going to go... I think a lot of people feel like you do and that this isn't really going to do anything yeah i was more um, interested when it was the end of when it when it was a, uh, angel season four you know when it was jasmine <laughs> that was more interesting sure. to me right so. uh how are you feeling about pike ah i think that is i i like that the, the okay. finding those people very glad monty got to find his mom that was really affecting for me but um underwhelmed by kill all grounders because again it just feels like another kind of retread storyline that's very it's it feels like it's there to to whip up tensions so that we can have tensions for like three or four episodes and then 
then Pike will go, oh, I guess not all grounds are the same. We've learned our lesson. You know, Indira saved my life or something. So now we're on the t- on team everybody, but everybody against the Ice Kingdom or whatever. Like, I don't trust that it's going to lead to a long-term fraction, a fr- fracturing of the Sky Crew. Um, and so it it just feels like, well, I get where they're coming from. And I think they do a good job of justifying it. And it would be very odd if they weren't there wasn't so much strong anti-grounder sentiment amongst them. Um, it just feels like it's there for tension's sake. Um, so I'm a little leery about that. But I, I like the inclusion of more Sky Crew that we didn't necessarily know about. I think it's comparable to season two of Lost when the Tailey show up. Yeah. And I think that's where, like, that's the dynamic that I'm, like, treating that with and the lens I'm looking at it through is just, like, well, like you said, if these people weren't, like, really scared and really angry with Grounders, it would be a little weird. But I also take the point, and I think this is where a lot of folks were coming from with some of the preview stuff, of this idea of the retread and this idea that it doesn't really expand the show in any way. But at the same time, it'd just be like, well, if they were okay with the Grounders, then it would just be kind of convenient, wouldn't it? So I think it's kind of a no-win situation, but I'd rather have this than them be okay with the Grounders, honestly. Well, or maybe it'd be more interesting if they were with the Ice Nation against the Grounders. Yeah. You know, and then what do they do? Like, you know, like, I feel like there are more interesting interesting things that they could do, at least based on what we've seen so far. Um, But I also have a lot of faith in this writing team. Uh, Yeah, not led, but... Number two, apparently, by Javier uh, Grisha Marslach, who has another fantastic... Right, because he's on the show, right, yeah. Yeah, they just put out another Children of Tendu, he and Jose Molina, who co-hosts that podcast, all about show running. It's very interesting. I highly recommend people interested in how TV gets written. Check that out. Um, but yeah, so I have a lot of faith in the writers from what they've done in previous seasons. Um, so while I'm still not as high on, on the show as I think you are, Noel, I'm... I'm willing to see sure. kind of where this goes. And I hope that I, I look forward to hopefully being surprised and being wrong. Uh, but let's move on for now to a show that we don't have to be wrong about because it, we both love it. And it's both been awesome so far this season. And that's Agent Carter. What did you think of Better Angels? Um, it's an episode with Howard talking really fast and name dropping that he has sex with Irene Dunn. I'm in, man. I'm in. No, um... This was a really fun um, episode. Uh, we got a lot of like meta jokes about, oh, a movie based on a comic book. That sounds dumb. And no, I don't want to spend the rest of eternity as a disembodied voice, Miss Carter. It's just like, oh, Jarvis, if you only knew. Um, so no, it was a lot of fun, but also just, um, I love the whole Frost stuff that's happening right now with this idea of her aging and what that means, and how having the uh, Matter X, is that what they're calling it? Matter right? X? I forget. X Matter. I think that's right. Matter X or X Matter, the extraterrestrial yeah. goop. Uh, <laughs> um, and how this is going to affect her, because, I mean, it ate a guy. Yeah, she <laughs> ate a guy, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she ate a guy. And, I mean, I think that there's a lot of really interesting things that the show can set up and explore with this idea of what Frost is doing and what's happening to her as well um, that I'm really excited about. Well, what I'm excited about with Frost is less 
that stuff, though. I do like what they're doing. And more, I really love this idea of them kind of making her a Hedy Lamar figure, where everybody's so distracted by the fact she's gorgeous yeah. that they're not paying attention to... She's also really smart and knows, you know, Brilliant. exactly. So I think that's yeah. that's a really neat way to go with the character and, um, and a, a very distinct parallel that they can draw upon and i also like that they name check irene dunn but they don't name check they don't like go as obvious as to actually say Hedy lamar which i think is good um yeah irene dunn's fabulous by the way listeners she's she is yeah all of her movies great all very good um i had a lot of fun with the hijinks of the episode we get to see peggy trot out her her american accent again books confuse me oh which is always the best yes books confuse that was that was pretty good but i also i mean I think they need to do a little better at making uh, Jack, I guess, less of a straw man because he's not wrong. She has no evidence and she's right and they should just trust her anyways and, and keep giving her room to find the evidence. But he's not wrong. No, he's not. She needs to get like search warrants and other things that... You need to have evidence to do. So just because you know somebody is doing something doesn't mean you actually get to just break into their place. And you have to to do surveillance. You have to just kind of wait for them to screw up because that's how our legal system works. Um, So if he wasn't being so obviously duped, then that would be a little easier to get behind, I think. I'm half convinced that he's like the the grandfather or great-grandfather of, you know, Ward at this point. Uh, Poor guy. Um, but yeah, no, but also just like, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of cool on the Hydra stuff a little bit just because I'm just like, didn't really need this to be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. origin story for some of this stuff. But I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see if Jack figures it out that he's being duped basically. And if they allow him to figure it out, then I'll be happier. But if he doesn't figure out and he's just like, oh, this this seems okay. I can understand where this is coming from. I'm just going to be like, I've already been here. I don't need to see this again. I mean, after that headline thing, if he doesn't immediately change his behavior. Yes. I mean, yeah. come on. Right, yeah. Next week is going to be like kind of a real test for Jack, I think. Yeah. As a character. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed this episode of Agent Carter despite some of its issues. I had more trouble with the reverse Flash Returns. Okay. Uh, on the flash and uh, I don't have a lot to say about it but I'm curious how you felt about it because I just why did we spend this week with the reverse flash other than to learn that Cisco can't screw up with the timeline and to give him his goggles but I mean like why did we need to do this story I was not waiting for the reverse flash to return I was not wondering oh when is he going to like I don't care about that character. So I could have just easily skipped all of that and just watched the stuff with Wally and Iris, watched the stuff with, um, with Patty. I thought we had wrapped that up. So it was odd to come back to it again. Like, yeah, this whole episode felt kind of fillery. Well, okay. So here's the thing with the reverse flash coming back is the fact that the show after like nine, uh, 11 episodes needed to explain why the timeline hadn't changed when Eddie killed himself, because the timeline should have drastically changed when Eddie killed himself, and it didn't. So they had to explain that somehow, as opposed to just pretending it didn't happen, because, I mean, Greg Berlanti has already said basically time travel's magic and we're going to do whatever the hell we want. And <laughs> Which is the right thing guys. to do. Yeah. Right, and it's it's really the right thing to do, but you still kind of need to have, when you keep talking about if you change the timeline, it has consequences, 
you have to acknowledge when the timeline gets changed, or in this case, didn't get changed. So the big explanation of, well, he was in the Speed Force, and it's just like, oh god, no, don't talk about being in the Speed Force, for the love of god. Even people who read the comics think being in the Speed Force is dumb. And so, but no, he was in the Speed Force, so we have to, like, have this cycle, and it's all very timey-wimey, Doctor Who, fixed point, blah, 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 blah. And that's why that, that's why this happened. And I mean, I'm kind of okay with it, just because... I like the fact that they just did it. And we still have to do at least one more episode of the Reverse Flash coming back. Because yes, to find out who the Flash is. Yeah, the fact that we have to yeah. is the problem for me. Sure, and we I understand that. We shouldn't have to, we should get to. Right, but no, we have to because we have to like finish the time circuit. This is one of the things about the Flash and the whole time travel aspect of that character that is always kind of really iffy. Basically, I feel like they can do a better job than this, than what they did, yeah. is, is kind of how, where I am with it. And um, I was obsessed with you, so I became the opposite of it. I mean, like, that's not great writing, guys. I know you're drawing directly from the comics with that. I get it. And maybe if you did a better job of establishing that, no, he's crazy, like Turtle, then, then you know, I could go with you more on it. But, um, yeah, underwhelming, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but what I do continue to love about Flash is the way that they have them go, oh, you need to have a very specific kind of particle. And then they go, oh, tachyons. Yeah, tachyons. Like, I love that they don't forget that these are a bunch of very, very smart people who already know all this stuff, and they don't just saddle Joe with, like, science. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, like other shows that Right. We will talk about. Uh, so, so I, yeah, I liked that part of it, and um, and there was some good stuff with with Wally and Iris and Joe. the Wally and Iris stuff was the best stuff this week because the Patty and Barry stuff was deeply, deeply stupid. Yeah, why did we have that? I don't know because it was so weird. Because I mean, last week Barry didn't want to say he was the Flash, even though he had opportunities to say he was the Flash. But the show couldn't let him do it because they needed I, they needed Pat, Patty to get kidnapped so she could decide to leave. But she had already and, decided to leave! Right, and then this week she's acting like she didn't break up with him, like she had delivered an ultimatum. And it's just like, Barry's kind of okay being a dick right now, even though he's laying the martyr complex on a little thick. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, I'm just used to everyone leaving me. Sorry, Patty, bye! No, Fuck off, Barry. You're not even that upset when your dad leaves for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, because Patty, in the previous episode, says, I'm going to leave. I'm moving. She could go to school there. Don't tell me there's not a university at that school, in this in their city. She could. But she says, I'm moving back to, you know, Midway. the other, yeah. Midway, yeah, uh, to, to go to school there. That's, that's her saying, I'm leaving you and doing this. Uh, and so then her pretending like, like, I'm waiting for you to ask me not to go. It's just so manipulative. That's not her. No, it's not. So it's just, the this uh, underwhelming, but I was more on board, unless you have more thoughts on Flash. I was more on board with AWOL this week with, uh, with Arrow. What did you think? Um, I felt like AWOL was really set, was really peace moving. Okay. And it was real. it was a lot of peace moving that I didn't care about. Um, and the only other thing I have to, I mean, we can dig into that. I'm more interested to hear what you have to say. The only other thing I really liked about, um, AWOL this week was apart from the Andy and John 
present day stuff, which was still really, really great. And I love the dynamics that have been established between the two of them. Um, I'm just glad Felicity's codename is an Oracle because I would have probably burnt everything to the ground had they <laughs> given Felicity, um, Barbara Gordon's codename. I did um, like the Oracle. I was going to do Oracle Bizarre Taken. I thought that that worked a lot better right. for me than some of the other, like the Agent Carter stuff was fun, yeah. but on the nose. I thought it worked really well here. I do not like her actual codename, though, like over something. Overwatch. And Overwatch. it's so bad to say. It's like, like, dude, nope, no, no, no. Ta- let's just go do them because that was bad. Right. Yeah. No, it was just like, let's just go figure this out. But Cisco would obviously go with oracles. Yeah. Well, I just keep hoping that after that overwatch, it's like there's too much manipulation of your mouth. It doesn't roll out off the tongue. I'm really hoping that Cisco at some point will just show up and be like, no, I'm just I'm undoing this. I will not be like she goes over to to Flash for an episode and she's like, "Ah, I've got a code name. And he's like, I'm redubbing you, know, you. We're going to change that. No, I won't say that. That's bad. Uh, <laughs> but I liked what we got with Felicity and her other self. It was a bit long uh, and, and is very on the nose, but I like that they wrapped all that up in one episode. Arrow isn't subtle, so yeah. And Arrow doesn't do subtlety. <laughs> I was expecting that to be a much more prolonged, like, yeah. what is my meaning? So I was glad that they just did that. I also was glad that they, that they both acknowledged they need to move on and, and accept reality while also saying, and our reality is people come back from the life from, from the dead. Yeah. And we're interacting with a bad guy who has magic, you know, like, yeah. So, so I like that they didn't pull their punches with medically done. Yeah. And we accept that, but also there's this other stuff too. So yeah. I, th- I felt like they did a good job with those two things. And I liked most of what we were getting, uh, like not big on the flashbacks. Like I anticipate you would agree. My problem with the flashbacks was is that they didn't actually tell us anything new because we had gotten all of that through conversations between John and Andy. So it's just like, you guys are just doing the flashbacks so that we know Shadow Spire is associated with Ryder, who's on Leon Yu with past Oliver, so that Ryder can appear in the present day at some point to deal with or go against or work with Damien Dark. And this is what I'm talking about with peace moving is that this episode is just establishing yet another vaguely paramilitary force within Starling City. I'm just like, guys, I already had one paramilitary force to keep up with. I don't need two. I was, I'm, I will say, very surprised that they killed off Amanda Waller like that. Who cares? I don't care because A, it doesn't, Amanda Waller is so bad at her job in this show that she doesn't resemble Amanda Waller from the comics or even Justice League Unlimited. And I'm just like, who cares that they killed Amanda Waller because I just know Lila's going to take over so that then they can use Rubicon to help fight Damien Dark or something. I mean, it just it just felt like we're going to move pieces around to set up things. And I'm just like, nah, I don't, I don't. I don't care because we're in that part of Arrow that Arrow always struggles to do anything interesting in until we get to episode 18 where they're just like, remember the big season arc and how cool it is? Right. We're getting back to that now. (laughs) Well, I feel like this is a good spot at which to jump over to Legends of Tomorrow because as much as you don't care about Amanda Waller, I guess you care way less about Hawkman. Oh, God. And the fact, the, the way that they try to pretend that anyone cares about Hawkman oh, is just, river, like, guys. terrible. All yeah. of them. It's like, if you're going to get us to care about Hawkman, you need to cast somebody that has any chemistry, any chemistry at all with Shayara. With something. 
with like any. It's like the, he's yeah. like the anti uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Chemistry yes. was with nothing. At least none of these people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily blame the actor for that. It's the casting. That's bad casting. Yeah. Um, and at least we have one fewer character who's not connected, so that's good. But um, the notion of him, like, for Carter, I'm like, oh, his name is Carter. I didn't remember that until y'all started, like, sobbing his name a bunch. You've met this guy, like, two days ago. Not even two days ago. Like, 18 hours yeah. at the most a day. Yeah. I did like the timey-wimey stuff we got. I liked the stuff with um, the the young Victor Garber character. Um, yeah, Martin Stein's him himself. hating himself was delightful. Um, and some of the other stuff did work, but... Really, the notion of this as a two-part pilot is very odd to me. Yes. Because if this is the second half of your pilot, why did you spend so much in the end of your first episode being like, okay, I lied to you, but now for realsies, we're all committed to this mission. And then at the end of this episode, you do the exact same thing. Yes. You're like, now for realsies, realsies, we're connected to this mission. I mean, like, guys, uh, that's just bad writing. That's just like... Are you doing a one-hour pilot or a two-hour pilot? Because you should be able to do either of those better. Yeah, no, it just feels really defensive um, on the show's part. It's just like, we really have to justify keeping our these misfits together. And we have to justify the show existing. And it's just like, look, if they're okay with him lying and them, them wanting to like better themselves and or steal shit from the past, fine. Leave that as your justification. I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. I, I can accept that. Even if one of you was roofied to come here. Um, <laughs> at the same... But this, like you said, this whole Carter thing just rang really false to me. It was just like, guys, no. Even Cold is just like, you don't kill one of my crew. And I'm just like... I Cold has this sense... Has this code and this loyalty that's ingrained in him. And I really like that about Cold. At the same time, no, this didn't make any sense. He's killed members of his crew. Yeah. He's, like, constantly pulling guns on members of his crew because it's his way or the highway. And, like, I feel like he's been on a crew where a lot of people have died every episode of Flash he's been in. So, like, out of nowhere for me. Yeah. So, no, but at the same time, I feel like this 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 part of the pilot is what the show thinks it wants to be. Which is a really fun show where the characters get to be weird and fun and interact with, like, the past. And I think that's going to be really exciting and really interesting. Like, that whole auction sequence, even before the really good action sequence starts, where every shot is like a comic book splash page. Which was a really great sequence of the fight where you've got everyone flying around. You've got Ray like, being tiny and punching people. But... Firing guns to bid on a warhead is great. <laughs> and just dumb and silly, but so great. And then I just like the fact that Cold and Stein are the ones butting heads to be in charge. And I just think that's really, really fun. And a really interesting dynamic for the show to explore. Well, and Ray being the Boy Scout and yeah. him with Cold. Like, Brandon Routh is just so much fun in this role and so yeah. goofy. I I, yeah. I love when, like I've said for, for years now, when you let Brandon Routh be funny and goofy, he really, he's really, really good. Yeah, he's yeah. very good. Um, going back to something like 
Uh, he's in Zack and Miri make a porno for like two scenes, and he's hilarious mm-hmm. uh, as the boyfriend of Justin Long's character. Uh, I think that's Zack and Miri make a porno, but um, yeah, he really, really works in this um, as just the the lawful good character, yeah. you know. And and having him counter counterpointed with Cold also works very well. <laughs> having Sarah be like, I'm like totally stoned, but these guys are like to- like idiotic mooks. If I can't take them out, I deserve to die. Like right. that, that also really is a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, hopefully, I mean, I feel like poor Cher is going to be saddled with revenge now all season. So yeah. that makes the likelihood that I will invest in her Less. all season like zero. Yeah. But the other parts of the show I do think are working better in this episode. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's just funnier. Like, I don't need my past self to fall in love with a sexy assassin. Oh, you think I'm se- Do no, not finish. Don't. And I'm just like, yeah. Yes. It's really funny they're finding, like, that's going to be the best thing about this show once, hopefully starting next week, now that it's settled down, is the fact that they can start letting their cast play with one another, basically. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be, like, the joy of having such a large cast, is that there are a number of different approaches to what they're doing, how they're doing it, and then just the character personalities allow for a lot of really fun interesting dynamics for people to play off of and that's where this show is going to basically live or die is how well it shuffles up those dynamics and then how much fun it has with doing its time travel stuff yeah so i'm feeling vaguely optimistic but i'm also just like i need a really really good episode like i saw a lot of tweets from like random people saying best episode yet and i'm just like well you had a really boring first episode so of course by default (laughs) this was going to be the better episode well better episode but is it the best episode what wins your week in genre um it's totally crossover um from adventure time there's just there was too much weird and too much heartfelt emotion for it to be anything else for me yeah, uh, definitely Adventure Time. And then if I had to pick another one quite a ways lower, I guess I'd go with uh, The 100 but or, or Agent Carter. But, like, it's definitely Adventure Time. Um, now we'll take a break, and we'll come back with our week in drama. This week in drama, I'm going to preview The People versus O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story, um, and then talk just briefly again about London Spy, Episode 2, and then Nola and I are both going to talk about American Crime, uh, Season 2, Episode 4. Uh, I is it? A, I guess I love, I was going to say, I either love or hate that that's what they're titling the episodes of Season Null. It's literally titled Season 2, colon, 
Episode four. Episode four. Yeah. Uh, elementary had all the matters this week, and then we'll dish a little Pretty Little Liars at the end. I'll be talking about the first three of, of this half season, um, but no, I think we'll primarily focus on the gloves are on. Um, but first up is The People versus O.J. Simpson, which is the new Ryan Murphy show on FX, the spinoff of American Horror Story, or, you know, sister series, maybe. Spinoff feels a bit a bit wrong. Yeah, it has, sister series. It has some of the same cast, it has some of the same creatives. Um, but, and because of that, I wasn't particularly looking forward to this. Uh, I don't know about you, Noel. Are you looking forward to this I, one? I was actually really, really excited about this. And I say this as someone who's been just pretty much done with Ryan Murphy. Mm-hmm. But I was really looking forward to this. Well, and the buzz has been incredibly strong. Yeah. Uh, but I, I got access to screeners for this uh, just today as we record and and popped popped in the first episode um, just be, on the strength of the of the buzz for for it. And it's really good. They're not kidding, Noel. It's it's really good. Um, I was expecting the Ryan Murphiness to take me out of it but sure i should have noted it's not written by ryan murphy nope. it's Which directed a... by ryan murphy yeah. an important distinction right and i'd much rather have him as a director than as a writer yeah i think he does a good job with the direction i liked his uh, most of his direction for the normal hearts there was some that was i think some of his choices detracted but i think on the whole it worked, it worked very well or he did a good job with that and he does a good job i've seen the first two once we finish recording i'm gonna go watch more because I can. Yay, hashtag screener privilege. But um, but no, it's, the performances are really good. And they take, what, what's fascinating is this is something I was aware of, the O.J. Simpson trial and, and story. But I never, I was too young to be like really following the case in the press. Like I was in, in middle school, I want to say. And, uh, and so I was aware of it. And certain things, I'm sure buzzwords or personalities I'm familiar with. But I never really looked into it so I, I'm, I'm aware of the phenomenon phenomenon i'm aware of the sort of the this the reception of the trial in the like the discourse around it um yeah. but i don't know really any of the details and so i i think it's actually you know just a really fascinating portrayal of that i would have thought oh this is the oj simpson trial okay we all know this story why is this interesting but honestly i didn't realize how little i did know of this story. Uh, so, so I think they do a good job. The performers are really good. And, and watching this very talented cast take on figures that have in some places, you know, kind of fallen out of the public imagination, but in others really grown, you know, all of the Kardashians, uh, <laughs> has, has been really interesting. And I, I would single out in particular, I think John Travolta is very good at Robert, as Robert Shapiro. Uh, David Schwimmer is very good as uh, Robert Kardashian and Sarah Paulson is very good as Marsha Clark. And then also, uh, I wouldn't have, I mean, I, I can't imagine trying to be O.J. Simpson, but Cuba Gooding Jr. does a really good job, as will surprise no one when he's given a character. Cuba Gooding Jr. is very good. Um, so I think it's just really very interesting. The entire second episode is centered around the Bronco chase. Okay. Uh, and and I think that works well. The first episode is extra long, but earns every minute of its time. Um, and I'm really looking forward to like with what the little bits I know about the case. It kind of follows in in you know along in, in not real time, but along the progression. There's no like playing with time or back and forth. They they know that we know the basics or the outline of this story, so they just yeah. 
they don't try to like flash back and forth. They let us follow the progression. So certain figures in the very beginning, as they're discovering the crime scene, we know will pop up in a big way when it comes time for the trial. So I'm looking forward to, to how that is executed when we get to it. But uh, yeah, guys set your DVRs for, for the people versus OJ Simpson, because this is some really interesting uh, television. And I look forward to everybody's thoughts and I look forward to your thoughts in particular, Noel, when we start breaking this down next week. Yay! Sounds great. Uh, next up is London Spy, and I just want to mention uh, this one again to say it's still very good. And Charlotte Rampling shows up in a big way in the second episode uh, and is very uh, commanding, shall we say, in her scenes with Ben Wishaw. Uh, but mostly for me, the second episode is all Jim Broadbent show. And uh, yeah, I hope you get a chance to watch it this week, Noel, because it's so good. But I don't want to say anything because it is so twisty turny. So continue to watch London Spy listeners or check it out if you have not yet seen it. Uh, but now let's move on to American Crime. I want to start with how delightful is Felicity Huffman playing a total bitch? So delightful. Not only is she like a total bitch, but I love the fact that she's just deeply, deeply good at her job like i mean the end where she's just like no we're gonna control this situation is exactly the right kind of response that a person in her position should have and how she approaches controlling that situation is exactly what that kind of a person would do and so there's that sense of that again existed in the season one but i think is really coming through a lot more in season two is that these characters are like types, but they're types that feel like human beings. And I think that's what's really impressive, especially about the both of the characters now that Huffman's had, is that they're just really, they make sense. And I think that's just really, really exciting. And yeah, no, she's terrible. Yeah. She's the worst. <laughs> the way she parses her language and the, the, the felicity she has with parsing yes. her language. You know, she doesn't say, we need to quash all references to this so she says we need to establish everyone's what what happened and what what everyone remembers and what everyone is has said (laughs) you know it's it's just so evil and the fact that she's so good at it is what makes Mm -hmm. her so uh so striking and memorable and scary yeah yes and i've and that idea about parsing her language is also really important because I think this feeds back into one of the undercurrents of this season in particular, which is this idea of being looked at and monitored a lot and this idea of being exposed in a whole number of ways, whether it's physically, sexually, um, through social media, through the press. Um, She's just hyper aware of that, even if it's in a locked room with someone or with board members. She's just like, I'm not going to say or do anything anything that could be misconstrued even in my private confidences this is something that i'm composed for Mm -hmm. and i think that's just really really fascinating and a thread for us to like keep an eye on as the season progresses this idea of being watched and being exposed she's like bedelia on hannibal if she (laughs) talked faster if bedelia talked faster um yeah it's very and and she so so comfortably switches back and forth over the course of these four episodes to mm-hmm. nothing happened to something happened and we have to to, to write back into you know yeah. like 
oh oh man she's she's the writing for that character but also the performance has been really good uh what else has stood out to you uh so far or specifically in this episode uh specifically in this episode one of the big things i noticed um that i really really loved and another sign about how really interesting and thoughtful this show is is that when taylor's meeting with the guidance counselor at the uh, public school um she sounds like she's talking through a wall to him and it's just so interesting because, I mean, it's not like she's really, really far away or like they're just like separated by a desk. But she sounds like she's in talking through like a wall or through like a vent, basically. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the thought, the idea to express how he's perceiving her acoustically is really, really interesting. Because one of my favorite things about American Crime aesthetically is the fact that it's a show that pr- doesn't do a lot of shot reverse shot it prizes the actor living in the moment while some actor off screen talks so you're constantly exposed to their reaction and to compliment how taylor's feeling about being asked about his future or being asked about what happened to him and all this sort of stuff and she's like this she's too far away from him and i mean we're seeing it in the actor's performance but we're hearing it aesthetically as well and i think that's just really really interesting and it's a show that's not being like Hannibal and throwing its aesthetics or in your face. It's doing something a little less obtrusive. And I think that's really, really fascinating and really, really interesting. Do you have any thoughts on what happened? Do you, th- how many more twists do you oh, think we're going to get? I don't know, man. Like I will tell you that when he, when he walked into the bathroom and he just like, started pouring the pills on the counter i just i grabbed a pillow and like put it up to my face Mm -hmm. and i was just like what i had it like my eyes over the edge of the pillow because i was just like no 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 no, god no Mm -hmm. and so i was just really freaking out and i'm just really fascinated by the fact that now we've got this idea that it was his idea that it was consensual and that it was intended to be consensual and whether or not it ended up being consensual i think will become the central like mystery now it's <clears throat> which i think is interesting and it keeps the plot moving forward in really interesting ways as well because it's no longer f- waiting another four episodes to find out who was responsible would have been really boring mm-hmm. and it would have gotten really dragged out having this in episode four and now the question becoming well was it actually consensual is a more interesting question both as a mystery but also just it's a more interesting question period when you're talking about rape and i think that's just i i think that's a far more interesting way for the show to approach this and i think it's a really thoughtful way for the show to approach it how are you feeling about this oh yeah i'm glad that they i mean i liked what they were doing before but adding in this wrinkle i think is much uh more interesting and allows them to if they wanted to comment on things like Cosby, they can because he was clearly out of his gourd, either you know drugged or just really drunk. It seems like he was, he was drugged, right? It was in his in his bloodstream, right? He was, was definitely definitely drunk. Um, I can't remember if there was any sign of drugs, but he was definitely heavily intoxicated. You I can't, you can't barely... consent at that point. legally their consent can't exist at that point but then what does the conversation become and what exactly happened because clearly our uh consensual partner here on the basketball team knows something else 
yeah. happened because of his the way he's been freaking out about this whole investigation. If it was just he was worried people, you know, of people thinking he was gay and finding out that this is, that he had had consensual sex with someone, then he wouldn't have been freaking out to his co-captain. So uh, I think that this makes things it, it explains some things very effectively while yeah. introducing new wrinkles and that's what you want a twist to do and it makes sense with what we've seen while not explaining everything so yeah. uh i think they've really confidently handled these first four episodes and i i'm really looking forward to an episode i haven't seen next week yay <laughs> next up is elementary alma maters and uh i think this episode gave me one of my favorite moments in the series uh it's just such a small but but was, sure. it, was it the honey no, no, that oh, was okay. that was really fun. But no, Sherlock's just assertion of obviously, father, you know, I yes. didn't try to kill you because you're alive. Johnny Lee Miller's delivery of that and the 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 way the camera just stays on him was delightful. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, no, it was really, really good. Um, this act, I was actually really, really happy with this episode because it answered one of my lingering concerns about like, um. Moreland's conversation with the Interpol agent. I was just like, oh, Moreland's got a deep, dark secret. I don't care about Moreland having a deep, dark secret. That's <laughs> no one boring. cares about Moreland having a deep, dark secret. And now his deep, dark secret is that he thought his son tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and now Moreland's like the case of the season. That makes Moreland more interesting. Yes. Yeah, no, anything else would have made him. Less interesting. Less interesting. No, this makes him significantly more interesting. And, yeah, it, it yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm really excited about this now, because I was dreading Moreland showing up again um, after the whole thing about him having a secret and this sort of thing. I'm just like, oh, God, no, this, no, I don't care. I already went through this with Mycroft. I don't care. <laughs> and now he's he's someone who has to be helped. And I think that's well, like you said, it's way more interesting than what they were setting us up for. Mm, yeah. And i just very glad to, again, have them zag when we thought maybe they were going to zig. So that's yes. definitely a move in the right direction. Uh, our, our last show for our week in TV here is Pretty Little Liars. Um, for me, of late, I think of Rosewood, Charlotte's Web, and The Gloves Are On. Uh, you've already had plenty of thoughts on of late, I think, of Rosewood. So. Yeah. Uh, I was going to throw it to you because I've been talking a but, lot, but I feel like I should start on this one. I think you should start on this one because this was your first like ever exposure to Pretty Little Lies, right? You hadn't seen anything. No, to, to the point where I had assumed the, th- the theme song. I, like, I knew the whole got a secret, got to keep it thing. Yeah. But it took like an episode and a half, but that's officially an earworm stuck in my head and I love it. Isn't uh, it the best? Yeah, but I, I, I thought it was a very different theme song like totally like the 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 style of it mm-hmm. uh and i like this so much better than i thought it what i thought it was uh so just even little aesthetic things like that are fun for me i'm yeah. not invested in the show the way that i need to be i think by based on sure. these three episodes and i i think that is because i what i'm watching it and i was really on board for what we we're getting in the the mid-season premiere um and then charlotte uh charlotte dies is killed um and i'm still on board but when they start doing things like just doing really stupid things like let's cover things up that will make things better i i was disconnecting from the show and so when they have the one i'm I'm sorry listeners i don't know their names yet uh when when blonde not charlotte's sister was deleting allison 
Allison was deleting. No, no, you're thinking of Hannah deleting things. Yep. That's not. Okay. Yeah, yeah. not the sister, Hannah. Hannah. When, when she was deleting the security footage, I was just like, this is just the dumbest thing that has been a thing. This is only going to make things worse. This is not going, like, Veronica Mars, they ain't. And so they're, like, trying to solve everything because I don't have the seasons of relationship with the characters. I, I'm having a hard time connecting yeah, to that no. stuff. I do really like what I'm get what they're doing with Ezra and the book. I think that's really interesting. I like what they they were giving Arya there to do. I like some of these other dynamics, but yeah. every time they're like, "We've known about this for a day, and we're we know that you killed the, this person and everything," and just like, "No, you don't. You don't know anything. You're just you're making everything worse. Please, please stop. Just feel like people again." So that that's where I'm at with Pretty Little Liars. Uh, I'm guessing that is not your relationship with it, Noel. What do you think? No, these they're deeply bad at all of this. <laughs> they always have been. Mm-hmm. Um, no, because, I mean, they get regularly trapped in locked rooms. They get tied to uh, conveyor belts that lead to buzz saws. That actually happened once. And, I mean, they're, they're just really bad at this sort of thing. And they make really stupid mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of par for the course for them. And I think part of that is just part of the show. And so, like, you being like, oh, just behave like human beings. I'm just like, yeah, no, this is what they do. This is them behaving like them. Um, They're just really bad at this sort of stuff. Um, So, no, I enjoyed the episode a little bit. Um, I think a lot of... um, I was talking with my friend Nick about it a little bit today, and he hated this episode because it recycled a lot of stuff from, like, earlier seasons. And um, for me, it was also just... It symbolized more than anything this idea of the show like restarting and re- readjusting its dynamics, and I think I still think that what they're doing is really interesting. But mostly, I'm just glad that Caleb and Spencer have finally hooked up. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, all. I know you don't care, but I it's know just I was like... supposed to. I could tell from the music and everything. Yeah, but I'm glad that no, you liked it. <laughs> yeah, no, I was really happy about that because I mean, after two episodes of them just kind of like teasing the idea, I was just like. Oh my god, just please do it already so the two really pretty people on the show can do it. And now they have. Even though, you know, Caleb had a relationship with a ghost, so Okay. Yeah, well, I mean that 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 was that 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 was Ravenswood and that show was weird and bad and he had a relationship with a ghost. Okay then. Yeah. Uh, the I'm... less said the better. Are you gonna watch another episode? You uh... don't have to. Okay, but well, I'm just gonna ask if you if you're th- if you're even mulling watching another episode. Well, it's something that I'll just kind of see where the viewing takes me in the okay. next, you know, few episodes. So I've got the the recording set on the DVR, and okay. if I don't have time for it before we record next week, then I won't. Uh, if I do, then I do. So we'll kind of just see how it goes. But um, yeah, some of those. I mean, when they're getting the the acquaintance from because after five years that's what you are their acquaintance from high school to perjure himself basically to lie to the cops to God, create an alibi. Is such a sap i'm just like i you deserve to get arrested and you deserve to get arrested for getting him to do it uh and to go to jail because that's how it works yes but i know nothing's gonna happen to them and that's really frustrating to me well, also, you you don't know, but the Rosewood Police Department is really incompetent. Like, really incompetent. Like, season one, season two, like, they're routinely questioned without per- parents present. And one of their parents is a lawyer. 
and now running for state senate. <laughs> that feels like the kind of thing, you know, not like you screw that up once because it's a TV show. After that, uh, anyways, uh, so that's I'm. I didn't hate it or anything. I, I, I did enjoy parts of it, and uh, yeah. I can absolutely see the appeal. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, what wins your week in drama this week, Noel? Uh, American Crime by, like, a country mile. I don't. I didn't watch anything dramatic that was as good as that episode of TV. So American Crime was really good. London Spy, also fantastic. Uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson, fantastic. But we can, we're going to talk about that next week. So I'm going to give it, I'm going to split the vote, give it to London Spy. Uh, but American Crime, also really good. Um, and looking forward to talking more of that next week. Uh, a few show notes. You can find a post for this episode up at theteleverse.org, the website for the for the podcast. You can also find us in iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And it would be great to get a rating review over there, guys. If anybody's been like holding out, waiting for a time to leave a rating review, you know, maybe at least one in the post changeover to Noel would be very nice. Yeah, do it. Do it for me. <laughs> uh, ratings and reviews do help other people find the show, which is why we ask, you know, if you're of iTunes using, if you are an iTunes user that you consider doing that, but you can also reach us by emailing the televerse at gmail.com. And you can find both of us on Twitter. I am at the televerse. Noel, you are at Noel RK. And, of course, you can also find my writing at the AV Club. And, Noel, what are you reviewing over at TV.com? It's like all of the things, but what are you reviewing right now? Uh, I'm reviewing basically the Arrowverse. So I have Arrow, the Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow, and The Good Wife maybe for a few more episodes before I just decide to quit until the finale. Fair enough. Uh, so, so now we will take a break and come back with Corey Barker of TV.com to talk Miami Vice. We'll be right back after this. Instead of beating up on each other, why don't you guys consider working together? Forget it. You were my partner. Eddie Rivera got killed today. How much? How much do I use, Scotty? Six months ago, a guy comes up to me outside of a club in Little Havana. Hands me a suitcase. Hands me Mr. Calcaro. Nothing else. I trusted you. I trusted you, you I trusted you! Calderon got away. New York figures he's back down here. Raphael Tubbs died three weeks ago in that New York shootout with Calderon. Who are you, man? His brother. Ricardo Tubbs. Bronx. James Sonny Crockett. I think we might have to consider some sort of temporary working relationship.
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, I'm super excited because not only do we have uh, Noel, I know one of your best friends, and a very intelligent TV uh, critic on with us, but we're going to be talking about Miami Vice, which is a totally awesome show that nobody has ever like even mentioned talking about on the DVD shelf before this. So I'm super excited uh, for Miami Vice, but more specifically to be talking Miami Vice with uh, Corey Barker from TV.com and Totally Tubular. Corey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm so very excited. I'm actually wearing a white suit uh, with a pastel blue shirt underneath it. And uh, my pet alligator is sitting right here. So we are ready to go. <laughs> oh, the sleeves better be rolled up. I was going to say, of are we cuffed? Are. Yeah, like, <laughs> yes. what's our level of commitment here? And I'm guessing, like, a solid, what, 7 o'clock shadow, right? Feels about right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it, I look, like, slightly sweaty, but not too sweaty to be repulsive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit of a, like, you know, tight rope walk that, you know, enough to be... You know, apparently alluring is, I think it's just more they're going for verisimilitude because they're in Miami. And if they weren't a little sweaty, it would be kind of weird, right? Totally weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think if they didn't seem sweaty, you would really question whether or not if they were shooting in Miami or if they were, you know, really doing their jobs effectively. Yeah, yeah, clearly. They're cool customers, but they shouldn't be that cool. Uh, well, <laughs> Corey, what made you want to talk about Miami Vice? You know, I think Miami Vice is a, is a, hopefully for you guys too, a really interesting show. Uh, it's one that a few years ago when uh, Noel and I were working on a website called This Was Television, I decided to start watching and kind of writing about weekly. And so it's always been in my mind since then. And I'm really glad that I picked it because going back and watching some additional episodes, uh, I've really discovered a, a, like a deeper appreciation for the show to the point where I, I'm so excited to talk about it, but I also think it is kind of like a criminally underrated show in a number of ways that I hope we can get into today. Yeah, I uh, definitely want to get into that because I think if if Miami Vice, I mean, because I, I want to say if it were available streaming, except that it is, it's on Hulu Plus, because this feels like the kind of show that should get announced as coming to streaming and then everybody goes, hey, remember how that show is awesome? And we all talk about it for like a month. But it is available, so it's kind of odd to me that it that it's not more talked about as various shows sort of find new life uh, on on streaming. I didn't see any Miami Vice, uh, like with the exception of I, you know, the ep- when when Battlestar Galactica, the you know two thousand three version was was going. Every now and again, you'd get people sending around pictures of Eddie Eddie almost in, in the 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 speedo right and the beach. <laughs> so like I had seen things like that from the show and uh certainly i knew the visuals you know i set up of the show and the the idea of the look but i never really sat down and watched episodes of miami vice uh until this so i'm really uh glad that that you picked this because it's it's a very very interesting show um noel what was your what was your relationship with miami vice had you seen it before this yes um but never like any really committed way i've seen the pilot like a number of times um mainly because it's one of the par excellent examples of a really really great pilot uh even if it's like 10 15 minutes too long um but so i'd seen like random reruns on uh usa 
uh, years upon years upon years ago. And so I've seen a smattering of episodes, mostly from the first uh, three seasons. But uh, seasons four and five, or especially season five, which I hadn't seen until I watched one episode right before we started recording, um, were like complete mysteries to me. So I'm like I'm I'm familiar with it in a very broad way, but I've never really like sat down, dug in, and just really watched the show um, very much. And just apart from having discussed the pilot a number of times with other people. Well, I think that pi- the pilot is a good place to jump off from because it yeah. is a really good pilot, and not just for the look and the sound of it, which is so iconic and is so distinct, which I'm sure we'll talk about and get into, but also just because of how it starts. I love, I love that we do not start with uh, with Don Johnson, that we do not start with cops. We start with Tubbs, and for all we know, he's a bad guy for quite a while. He's driving around with a shotgun in the car. Uh, the way that this show, and it's right there from the pilot, is addressing expectations based on race uh, is really, really interesting to me. Uh, thinking of the time, but even just now, that was, yeah. I think, the biggest surprise for me with the entire show. Because I knew, like I said, I knew a bit about the aesthetic, I knew a bit about the approach, but I was very pleasantly surprised with that element to the show. Yeah, it's a, it's a really diverse show, just in general. I mean, the main cast is pretty diverse, especially after Almost comes on. And uh, it, it, it's very reflective of, well, being in Miami. And it, it's weird that even today that we're talking about a show that came out in like the mid-80s. And we're just like, wow, this is, this is a little better at diversity than most shows today. And that we're saying that is just kind of says more about the current state of television, especially network television uh, than anything. But still, it's it's a really progressively interesting show uh racially progressively interesting show at least in terms of casting and that sort of thing um so yeah no it's surprising in that regard um you wouldn't expect it and then it's just like very upfront with it yeah and one of the things we kind of think about subverting expectations is that that opening sequence feels so much like you would imagine so many other cop shows or even kind of cop films at the time being you know, set in New York, being that kind of gritty, dirty version of New York that doesn't really yeah. exist anymore, particularly in representations in the media. And so you get that kind of familiar introduction that people, I'm sure, in 1984, 1985, were also very, very familiar with. Like, oh, we, we've seen this a million times. And then that gives you an even more of a jolt than when you come back after the credits and suddenly, you know, we're in Miami and it's entirely different. So they kind of set you up for for a completely new and immersive experience from the beginning. And I think even having seen the pilot a handful of times, sitting down to watch it again, I totally forgot that that's how it starts. Yeah. Like you just you just cut all of that out of your mind because it it's still it's still relevant plot wise, but you you don't really think about that the story itself actually starts with Tubbs not only, but then starts in New York, you, you immediately think of Crockett in Miami, I think, first and foremost. Right. And in New York, that feels, as you said, just really distinct from Miami in general, because even their, like, dark New York is different from Miami's dark. And so, I mean, it's just a really nice study in co- of contrast that they set up really, really quickly. <laughs> it's them going, you know this, that all the other shows are, we're not going to be that. Uh, and it's, 
yeah, it's a lot. Even though they kind of are that sometimes. But oh, we'll yeah. Get to, yeah. We'll get to there. But uh, I, I know I, I already paid some lip service to it, but I do also, I do think we should talk a little bit about the music and the feel of the show because what was really interesting to me, it's been a very procedural week for me. Uh, for listeners, a peek behind the curtain, we're recording a DVD shelf on Law & Order tomorrow. So it's been Miami Vice and Law & Order, and there's been a couple other shows that I've been trying to catch up with that are procedural. So it's been an insanely procedural week for me. And one of the things you can usually rely on a bit in, in cop procedurals is you can sort of multitask a bit because the, the dialogue tends to hold your hand a little bit more. It's just a, geared towards a different type of, of viewing and, and appreciation. The, you you sit down to watch these procedurals because they're a lot they're fun and they're hopefully well made but also because you don't have to like notice every detail on the screen and you know catalog everything you're watching you can just passively enjoy it uh but with Miami Vice every time I tried to you know check my my phone was beeping or uh answer the door or anything I had to, to stop and then rewind because I was missing stuff it's not it's, it feels like a transitional kind of uh, approach because there is so much of the show that is about tone and that is maybe wordless, uh, lots of explosions and all of that. But you, you can't just kind of listen to the show. You have to watch it. The visuals are very important to the show. The visuals and the music are probably, along with the fashion, I guess, which can be kind of folded into the music, are the things that people remember most. But I think, you know, Noel and I were talking a little bit about this throughout the week as we were watching people remember specific things about the music or the visuals that are true, but it kind of, you know, glosses over some of the more interesting things that the show tends to do if you watch more than one episode. So, you know, I think everybody who's familiar with Miami Vice and people who aren't even that familiar probably know the in the air tonight sequence and near the end of the pilot, which is amazing. And one of the best sequences that I've ever seen in television. And it is, you know, a perfect encapsulation of so many of the things that the show goes on to do pretty consistently, but kind of fits so perfectly in that moment that it comes right after a really great moment uh, for Crockett. And then, it, you know, today, when we think about the way music is used on TV, you often think in like snippets, you know, just 20 seconds max. And one of the things that Miami Vice does so perfectly, I think, is that they often just like play almost the entire portion of a song, right? You know, they they play multiple verses, they play a chorus, they play a bridge, and they let things just breathe in a really interesting way. And I think that not only captures kind of the atmosphere um, that the show wants to put out, but it, it really, you know, fits together with the visuals. And so the show is a very kind of sensational experience where if if you're just kind of not paying attention to what's going on like a normal procedural you're really missing the key elements of the show and there are really great plot points and really great character beats in a lot of the episodes that we watch but i think so much of the work is done by the style of the show but i think nowadays when people say something like that that the, the work is done by the style they look at that as kind of like a empty style that it doesn't really have a real impact or effect and I think that that's couldn't be further from the truth because even that in the air tonight like people can say whatever they want about the song and Phil Collins the song's being a, great yeah the song is great but if you even if you don't like the song and you think Phil Collins is a complete cheese ball the song works perfectly in that moment and does not you know disrupt or deflate any of the tension that's been built up and in fact like builds it up even further right. and so 
I think so much of the way people perceive the show so many years later is that it's just this like empty representation of 80s excess. And that's true, but I feel like it it isn't empty. Like it has a real clear point, especially in the early seasons. Right. And I mean, taking the in the air tonight sequence is a really good example of this because I mean, when it gets to the Phil Collins saying remember really loudly to like start the next start the next section, that line from that that lyric starts when Crockett's asking his wife to think about ha- when they were happy last time. I mean, it hits right there and then. I mean, it's edited so that you get the moment where the song and what's on the screen sync up really nicely to really kind of gut punch you into seeing how harmonious and how well put together this is. But even something like the girls want to have fun sequence on the beach... I mean, the music is being really playful with it and is basically cluing us in on thinking that it's cluing us in on what's happening. And then we get a little twist on it at the end when it turns out that it's a cross-dresser assassin. Um, but so there's there's this really fun interplay, especially in the pilot, but it continues in other instances where the music really complements what the situation is. And this is something that kind of tapers off a little bit after the second season um but even in the episodes i watched like the music always did a nice job of complementing and enhancing what the scene was trying to do and that's that's how you want to use music but at the same time sometimes it's not as successful and in this case like you said Corey, miami vice just really lets the music breathe into the scene and it just didn't it just kind of wraps you up in it and getting to Kate's point it just it makes you not want to look away and it's really really effective at that well and I also was getting um even just sort of a, a Treme vibe sometimes obviously you don't have the connection of the characters being the ones performing and you know Treme's the whole other thing but when we they let the performers you know this is a show about vice cops there's a lot of nightclub stuff that goes down <laughs> when when you see the live performers you know, and they and they like in the pilot, the sequence that stood out to me musically is not the in the air tonight sequence because maybe I knew what to expect from that. But when they're at the club, the everybody sing that that one, yeah, that yeah. song, I, which I do not know the title of. I'm sorry, listeners. All night long, all night long. Yeah. Yes, that one. Um, I just the choice to have that be you know a live performance up there happening within the scene to keep going back to the performers who they're there working but their job is to make sure everybody's having a good time while we have all the other action going on with our our main characters and that choice of song too uh and the way like you guys have said they they let the music breathe they let you know they keep coming back to that uh that song and and that um performance while everything else is happening, it really helps build the world and, and and gives you a sense of what these cops, what their job is and the world they are in and how it is, again, how it's so different than what we see at the very beginning of the pilot. Uh, I, I just love the way that they use they use music throughout the show. Yeah, and I think that that's something that even continues uh, in some of the episodes that I watched that were into the second, the third season. They do a lot of uh, live performances, you know, where it's not the actual artist who's singing the song. So, for instance, in it, in All Night Long, it's not actually Lionel Richie, but they have someone there who's singing it, and that that's such an interesting choice, but it, one that really adds to you know the verisimilitude of the world that you would go into a club and there would be someone 
singing a song that's not actually theirs, but it's really popular. Um, and it allows you to kind of have your cake and eat it too, almost that you're able to use these real popular songs, but not have to worry about how are we going to fit Lionel Richie into this show? Even though in many future episodes, they bring on a litany of weird musicians and famous musicians who can't really act, but do interesting performances within the context of the show. Well, it would be super distracting if Lionel Richie was up there. Uh, well, then don't watch the UFO episode in season four when James Brown shows up. As, as James <laughs> yeah. Brown? No. He, he's not. But yeah. but also, yes, as James Brown. It's kind of weird. Okay. Yeah. He, he sings James Brown's songs. But he's not they, James Brown. But he's not James Brown. He's another soul singer um, who had, you know, but it is James Brown entirely sings, you know, all of, all of his famous songs. It's very bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> well, I clearly need to set some time aside to watch <laughs> that episode because that sounds amazing. Um, one of the other things I wanted to make sure to talk about is, um, and and again, maybe it's just I, I stumbled upon, because I, I got the DVDs and just sort of did some random episode picking. So maybe sure. I just happened to watch a very fortuitous selection of episodes. However, I was also really impressed with the gender politics on this show. I love that they are very happy to give a woman a machine gun and have her also be a bad guy. Uh, or in the, the premiere or the pilot, you know, we've already mentioned the assassin is cross-dressing uh, because no one's going to look twice at a woman. They're not going to, they're going to assume that she's not the bad guy, um, you know, which is how he is able to evade the capture, at least in the first instance when, when he shows up. Um, and with the, the different detectives at the, the female detectives as well, I thought that at least the episodes I saw, um, I was really impressed. I was not expecting, like, this is a very dude heavy show. That's how it is very much thought of, at least uh, in the, amongst, for myself and the people that I was talking to about Miami Vice. But I think a lot of the material I was seeing for the women was, I, you know, I was impressed by. Yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag in that regard. You know, for instance, in the episode that Noel and I were just talking about, and this may be like kind of a late era problem for the show, which happens with a lot of shows, they just kind of phone it in. Um, it involves a plot with Trudy. And I noticed, and I had never noticed this in the history of watching the show, that on her desk, um, her name placard says Big Booty Trudy. And yeah, I that, thought, that shows up really early, actually. I think okay. I noticed that, like, in a season... I think I noticed that in the season three episode I watched. Yeah, and some of the story in that episode is just kind of like, girl, you tripping, you know? <laughs> um, but but they, they certainly do stories like that with the men, too, where they kind of have... They chase down leads and stuff like that, and obviously it's coded in a certain way that men are, like, you know, they're dedicated cops, and the women are just, in these instances, a little nuts or, you know, confused, but... I, I do think that it it is an interesting show in that regard because it it has a litany of characters that allows the show to kind of explore different things. So, you know, some of the supporting characters are a little bit more comedic. And obviously, Edward James Olmos' character is like the most grave person in the history of television. Um, <laughs> and so it, a part of that is that there are these women who actually get to do things. They kind of start as not super interesting kind of, you know, love interesty type characters or just women in the office. And then as the show goes on, they get more things to do to the point where there are full episodes that are about them that don't just involve them being, you know, objects of some man's desire or something like that. Well, and they're also busting down doors and arresting people and undercover like right away in the first yeah. season. Uh, and that's not necessarily something I anticipated from the show. And shame on me. 
No, I don't. I don't think it's a shame on you type of thing. It's just, I, well, I mean, I guess the question becomes then is how much of what you were expecting was informed by either your conception of the show or your conception of TV at the time. Their powers combined, and all their all powers. Right. Go- yeah, sure. So, I mean, I mean, we're. I mean, Miami Vice within '84, and Corey can probably speak to this a bit better since he, for this was television, as you mentioned, like looked at a number of shows that were happening around this time in the early and mid eighties were like television was trying to reconfigure the cop procedure a little bit uh, with things like um, Hill Street Blues and with Barney Miller. And so, I mean, it's kind of like part and parcel, I think of the, of all these shows kind of ending up stumbling on similar ideas and just executing them in different ways. Corey. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's true. And I think yeah. one of the things that's so interesting about the show is that so much of the things that it did that are really fascinating and made it such an exceptional show and innovative at the time were things that were not always carried on. So one of the things that Noah and I have been talking about all week, and I think that other people have certainly said, is that you know a show like Hill Street Blues, you can see the influence that it had on television you can see that it it created a certain template for a sh- like a a big ensemble show uh with multiple plot lines kind of happening at once the balance between ongoing stories and procedural and that kind of stuff um and it got a lot of awards and all of these things and but miami vice was almost a more interesting show for the things that it did with the visuals and the music and even you know the setting and some of the stories that it managed to tell like kind of that it managed to sneak in under the kind of glossy, uh, you know, surface that you see in the whole MTV cops idea. But a lot of that was not taken up by other shows, partially because it's hard to do well. And it is so of the time that you can't necessarily do that in the same way as you get into the nineties and the two thousands. And I think we could say that the show had a really great influence on TV style and did some really nice things for how music was used but I think people don't really think of it as an influential show. You know, I think of all the big shows of the eighties, Miami vice is probably the one that people might think of first and also think of as like the preeminent 80 show that has no value or context past 1989. I was thinking of a show as I was watching, this is especially true in the pilot. Cause of course they're setting the template for the whole show. Uh, but what, what it made me think of was the Americans, the, the use of like the red light on Tubbs as he's running out into the hallway. Their their complete comfort with not lighting him as he in in this completely dark alley. Um, and then that I mean that shifts a little bit. I think it's more prominent in the pilot, at least in the episodes that I watched, than in other episodes. But the the again the wordlessness, the 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 not needing to be so dialogue driven, but instead be more like we've been saying mood or tone or visuals driven um, that reminded me of a show like the Americans and, and the kind of things that we expect from prestige cable now. Um, so while, and, and we'll get into this a little bit here before we wrap up, there's plenty of stupid <laughs> Miami vice. Um, that is one of the things that I, I think is more under underappreciated. Cause I think people appreciate the music. I don't know that they appreciate the, the cinematography as much as they should. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, I think, has to do with also 
how the show kind of changed um, after season two um, when Dick Wolf, who would go on to apropos for our conversations, Kate, uh, who went on to do Law and Order, took over the show in season uh, after season two. So by season three, Dick Wolf's kind of running things a little bit. And the show's style and cinematography and aesthetics change rather quickly. Um, it's noticeable, at least, especially even in the first episode, with which has Liam Neeson as an Irish terrorist that Gina falls in love with. Um, and it's just, it feels different um, from the previous two seasons in a way that it's just a little more standard looking, a little more, it's a little flatter sometimes than what you get in the first two seasons. And I think that plays a part in why sometimes maybe the show's aesthetic memory hasn't transferred sometimes, possibly. But I think it also says a lot about the production team behind the Americans would, would I think, wisely look at Miami Vice to start crafting some of their aesthetics since theirs is a show that also takes place in the 80s. And so that kind of intertextual homage, I think, works really well, even if it's not like a straight-up homage. It's an acknowledgement of how that kind of aesthetic works within their framework. And what it was speaking to at the time and yeah. trying to capture that for for the show. Um, well, before we run out of time here, I do want to you know, give a little acknowledgement to the stupid of, of Miami Vice because this is a show, I swear, like every bad guy, they don't just have a gun. They have a machine gun and they're shooting everywhere and missing Crockett and Tubbs, of course, because, you know, they're level 20 and the bad guys <laughs> are level one. Um, but, uh, it also, the explosions are insane. They're most, they're, they're, they're the most ridiculous explosions that have ever been explosions kind of a thing. Um, did, did you guys have any thoughts along that? Did, did that take you out of it at all at, at various points or was it just something that you uh, accepted pretty quickly as just the language of the show? Well, for me, I think it's, I think it marks really that kind of transitional idea of where Miami Vice is fitting within a television landscape is that it's still having to do kind of big showy type of things and also have an alligator on a houseboat, <laughs> which is like, all right, here's this really cool show with these really, with this really great use of music and he has an alligator on his boat. And it's just, it's this kind of silly, it's it's silly. But I think it's reflective of the fact that the show is being torn with two impulses from older cop shows that were a lot looser in terms of what they did and what they focused on and had like these kind of weird vibes of, again, like, everything's a little bit bigger or um, again, I just keep going back to the alligator or performances are a little more exaggerated. Um, and I think that's just where the show is kind of trying to find itself, especially in the early going um, and figure out what its tone is basically. And I think that's what, where a lot of that kind of silliness comes from is both the idea of 80s success, but also this idea of being drawn in a couple of different directions, especially back to the past. So again, getting back to this idea that the show's still trying to be somewhat comfortable while also unsettling you in some ways. And I think one of the things that the show tries to capture 
and is kind of forgotten given that we've had so many other things that have kind of covered this is that it really does want to open up like this corner of the world where all of these crazy drug things and drug cartels and different sort of illegal uh, groups and activities are happening in a way that weren't entirely happening in other parts of the country at the time. Yeah. And so I think maybe part of that is that it really tries to show you how novel and crazy it was in Miami by going even further overboard than, you know, actually actual reality was. So it, it kind of really wants to give you that, like, this is not New York, you know, this is not Los Angeles. This is like a weird, almost like wild, wild west in the 20th, 20th century. And I think with that comes the fact that like every third bad guy has a litany of rocket launchers, not oh, just like machine guns, but like all the rocket launchers. launchers. Yeah. You know, that blow up Crockett's car. Yeah. Yeah. And while he watches. Yeah. And there are ones where, you know, like Crockett's sitting on the boat and people are just like firing massive rockets at his boat when even his boat is just docked at clearly just like a domestic dock where there are thousands of boats probably and nothing really gets blown up, but, you know, just these huge rockets are dropping right in the water, you know, and I think that is very ridiculous, and I think that's another reason why the show gets kind of set aside or forgotten, because there are so many of these ridiculous things, but I think so much of what that does is then it allows the show to get to really dark themes, you know, not involving more than just drugs, be it, you know, different things happening with Crockett's, you know, experiences in Vietnam, um, the various things that they get into involving like human trafficking and different sort of political things. And so that itself is not new, but the way in which they show kind of some of the harsh realities of that, but then package it in this bright, uh, you know, this bright, amazingly easily consumable thing that includes great, a great soundtrack and rocket launchers makes for such a fascinating contrast. And that is probably the most important and kind of endearing thing about Miami Vice for me. Well, do we have any final thoughts on, on Miami Vice? Or maybe if we want to just go end on a more straightforward note, Crockett or Tubbs? Crockett. I mean, come on. You know, I, <laughs> Tubbs is fine. Tubbs is fine. But, you know, and I think people because he didn't really, he had a weird career after this. People forget that Don Johnson is, like, really good in this show. Yeah, um, he is. From the instant. I mean, and I think, as Noel said, as the show goes on, he has that kind of look in his eye, like, he's been out in the sun in Miami too long, and he's seen some things, and this is just not really fun anymore. But in the first few seasons, he's fantastic. And I think the show doesn't go nearly as far as it did at the time without him. Yeah, no, I'm Crockett as well. Um, it's... Also, just because I think that um, Tubbs, even in the episode, I watched a couple of, I specifically tried to find a couple of episodes where Tubbs was the center of the episodes. And even then, the show kind of kept drifting back to Crockett um, sometimes. And I just, I never really managed to find much of a foothold in Tubbs or in um, Phillips's, Philip, Philip Thomas? Philip Thomas's performance, yeah. Well, I'm going to, be the dissenting voice then. I'm going to say mm -hmm. Tubbs, and here's why. Uh, Don Johnson is very good. He's very good in this role. I mean, I, he's such a fun actor when he's popped up on various uh, shows 
even just recently, something like Eastbound and Down, for example, just such a fantastic performance on that show. Um, but maybe it's just because I watched a lot of Nash Bridges as a kid. It was like on at the <laughs> we right time. We should do time, that next. On the right, uh, the right day of the week for me to be able to, to watch that regular. But I feel like I've seen a character like Crockett sure. much more than I have a character like Tubbs. Um, so maybe Johnson gets more to do and, you know, I would need to watch more Oh Darn to get a, a stronger sense of, of that maybe. But I, again, and again, also maybe this is just expectations going into it. I knew what to expect from Crockett. Nobody yeah. ever talks about Tubbs, so I had no <laughs> idea what to expect. And I certainly did not expect the character that we got. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll balance things out a little bit there. So thank you, Corey, so much for coming on to Talk Miami Vice with us. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Yeah, of course, you can uh, find me on Twitter. It's just twitter.com slash Corey Barker. That's just C-O-R-Y-B-A-R-K-E-R. I'm on tv.com. Uh, I co-host the tv.com podcast. That's totally tubular. And that goes up every Thursday on tv.com, on iTunes, all those great podcasting sources. And once more, thanks, Corey, for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.